four chapter eight of canada's hundred days this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by james o'connor canada's hundred days by john livesay part four chapter eight Lamont's Road. On the morning of Sunday, November 10, the President of the French Republic makes his official entry into Valenciennes. A dais has been erected in front of the fine old Hotel de Ville facing the great square of the Place d'Armes, and here come little girls, bedecked in white, carrying bouquets of flowers. Here, too, gather a galaxy of military notables, army and corps commanders, our good neighbors, come to pay their tribute, and outstanding among them is Sir Arthur Curry and his staff, including the Prince of Wales and Prince Arthur of Connaught. The President replies in eloquent terms to the address of welcome of the civic authorities after eulogizing the stout heart of its people through the long years of captivity monsieur poincare goes on to congratulate the canadian corps on its successful efforts resulting in the liberation of the city it is with special pleasure he has heard that valenciennes had been delivered from the enemy by the canadians they are very close to france once a daughter of france Canada has become one of the great British dominions, but she has preserved the ideals dear to both nations. She has never forgotten France, and today forms a link binding together France and the British Empire. When the war began, the President points out Canada was first of the dominions to pledge her aid. She has never turned back and ever since canadians have shed their blood freely for freedom and for france proud today must be the mothers of canada in the conspicuous share of their sons in bringing the enemy to defeat and disaster when the war is over and france restored to prosperity and happiness she will never forget canada and her gallant soldiers he concluded by announcing a gift of money from the canadian red cross to the stricken people of Valenciennes. Driving up and down these roads, threading our way through the thousands of refugees returning to their homes, perhaps no cry is more common, more spontaneous and sincere than Vive les braves Canadiens. It is a cry that comes from the heart. The Mons Road what tragic significance lies in those three words pictures they present of those glorious days of august nineteen fourteen when the flower of the british army threw itself in the path of the invader halted there the wheel of his victorious chariot and afforded france a breathing space to make ready for the battle of the marne for four years these cobbled pavements ring to the hoof of the conqueror for him it is the road to Paris, and then August 1918 issues in a change, a cold blast from the direction of Amiens. The tide of traffic sets in the reverse direction. 
back with all their impedimenta of war come those discomfited legions back too with them brittle thread woven into their iron texture come the french people of the evacuated areas the mons road clogged with sweating horses and cursing men is filled to overflowing with the flotsam of deserted villages many of these poor weaklings are crowded into the ditches and there die helpless witness of these horrors was the good cure of quivrechain fourteen thousand people its entire population were evacuated from the industrial town of anzin alone he tells us and ordered to march on foot seventy kilometers to mons even as they passed him their journey hardly started twenty died one woman pushed her cart whereon lay the body of her husband in a ditch a baby lived upon the breast of its dead mother quivrechain and quivrain are two villages on the road from valenciennes to mons forming indeed a continuous street divided by the bridge of the onel river a stream almost imperceptible though it be that marks nevertheless the boundary between france and belgium on the occasion one has in mind this morning of sunday november tenth nineteen eighteen the transition is sharply accentuated by national bunting quivrechain covers its wounds with the tricolor quivrain flaunts its happiness in black yellow and red that description is just for this trifling stream not only marks the boundary of two states but is the rubicon of hun hate for stricken france not river nor bunting are needed to advise the traveller he is passing from france into belgium quivrechain is a ruin quivrain inviolate back to their desolated hearth struggle the evacuated french the belge of mons a more happy fate have been left undisturbed in their bright homes theirs has been the travail of the spirit but not of the body in a short mile one passes from a ruined french ironworks to a humming belgian factory he confiscated the output of the french coal mines and destroyed them as he retired in mons he paid a good price for twelve per cent of the output and left the plant intact it is true that he stripped thousands of belgian factories and took their machinery to the fatherland but except in scattered cases there is here but little wanton destruction no deliberate ruin of the countryside to return to our road the day is misty but from jemap one can make out the great belfry of mons we walk forward shells are falling in the lower slopes of the village groups of frantic peasants run from their houses up steep alleys to the mons road there is a roar and a crash and a lorry is engulfed in the smoke of the explosion swaying a little it dashes on its way but it has knocked down a civilian carrying a small boy and he rushes wildly up and down trying barred doors for shelter the child screams pitiably cries and moans come from down the alley a shell has burst among a group of civilians two children are dead a woman clutching an infant staggers to her feet and falls again as is often the case 
This support line is a hotter zone than up forward. Up there is machine gunning and sniping. They have snipers in the belfry, but there is little shelling. It is all too close, with only the thread of the canal between the opposing lines. On right and left are great fosses of slag, pyramids of the plain. We pass villages at their door, watching the pageant of battle, careless of danger. Children run across the street of Quesmont. This is the courage of ignorance. Except for the already confused tradition of the great retreat, these people have seen nothing of war, and war four years ago was in its infancy. Luncheon at Quesmont with a battalion headquarters, where the news is received with some skepticism that the armistice will be signed tomorrow morning. One of them has come right through the war with his battalion. Rare good fortune. What an experience. These gallant young regimental officers daily quaff the wine of battle, nor ever know what lies at the bottom of the cup. There is not in the whole world a braver, cleaner, more inspiring society than this of the battalion. They are fatalists. Few have expected to find themselves alive on the day of days. They have seen so many comrades, trusted, honored, and loved, snatched from them in the heyday of youth and enthusiasm, of honors and brave plans for the future, and at any turn of the wheel up might come their number. So they are not willing to believe the agony is over. Touch wood, says one. Ahead the streets are deserted. Except under screen of buildings, they are enfiladed by fire from across the canal. From the O-Pip of a company headquarters, one has a fine view of the belfry. The hand of the great clock points an hour ahead of our time, Bosch time. We pass an octroi post. We are in Mons. Ahead is a little square. Half a dozen enemy dead lie there the patrol overwhelmed in our rush of the previous night. In the early morning they counter-attacked, bringing a machine-gun within twenty yards of our post. So close are the lines. From out of the square a broad boulevard runs down to the canal, bare of all life, swept by the machine-guns of each side. Under its fine sweep of plain trees lies a tangle of trolley-wires, this was the last one is to see of war. The short day is closing as we turn back to Jemap. In the Place d'Armes of Valenciennes next morning, massed Canadian bands issue in the armistice to the strains of patriotic airs. The occasion is past all demonstration. Our men quietly discuss the terms and the report that the Canadian Corps is to march to the Rhine. Soon we are again upon the Mons Road, with us a little priest of Valenciennes, a returned refugee, now intent upon an errand of mercy. He is delirious with joy. Long lines of guns, transports and marching troops meet and pass the pitiable stream of evacuees. To all he cries the good news, calling out to soldier and civilian alike, La guerre finie a onzers. This refrain he chants until he is hoarse, until his voice becomes a husky, joyous croak. 
once he stops to point out new turned earth by the roadside Quote, there i helped bury a woman and her child who died upon this road End quote, he says it is with a passion of regret that we pass again the onel river behind is france and a people canadian soldiers have learned in these four years to love and revere you pass along this strip of road from france into belgium from ruin into prosperity from dire want into relative plenty valenciennes beautiful city suffered heavy requisitions its works of art looted its people evacuated it is sad today there is apathy among the remnant of citizenship but in mons it is very different so great is its place in recent history that one looks to find it scarred and war-worn it is a pleasant surprise cattle graze in the meadows french cities far removed from the battle zone can show no such bright and engaging front no shops of such abundant and tempting display nor a people as cheerful and prosperous the women are handsomely gowned and the children jolly little souls fat and rosy young men are about the boche made himself very agreeable all this was policy until the past few months the boche counted on incorporating three belgian provinces in the fatherland he played up to the people deliberately yet cajoleries failed here as completely as did intimidation and terror there the flaming loyalty of these brave walloons centering in the heroic figures of their king and queen was not to be bought by gifts nor devitalized by coddling yet under the surface there is much misery beggars haunt the streets many of the able-bodied men who refused to work in the factories for the invader were taken into germany and will never return and their families are destitute mons too has been the focus of refugees from a wide area and it is said fifty evacuees die here daily the kind belgians do everything possible but they are weakened in body and broken in spirit mons is on fete in gala attire and we might be part of a carnival show as we thread our way up the narrow street amid a populace crazed with joy they press upon our men with wine and gifts every soldier wears a red carnation stuck above his ear in the afternoon the city of mons tenders a formal reception to the corps commander and his staff the streets are gay with bunting black yellow and red predominating though there is a fair sprinkling of the tricolor for these loyal-hearted walloons are french in sympathy as well as race and all join fervently in the marseillaise representative canadian troops line the great square the guard of honor being furnished by the fifth lancers replying to the address of welcome sir arthur currie says that the men of the canadian corps regard the occasion as a signal honor it was on belgian soil they had first fought in the second battle of ypres and it was fitting that they should there conclude their victorious campaign he then presents to the city of mons the canadian corps flag which the mayor informs him 
will be ever gratefully treasured in its archives. We pass on to our forward positions. It is an extraordinary experience. The front line is as silent as the grave. Our outposts stand chatting, boldly silhouetted against the skyline. No longer death screams overhead, nor speeds its whistling shaft. Our guns are shrouded in their tarpaulins, stricken dumb, and the attendant crews move about mechanically or sit and smoke their pipes, unheedful of their target. It all seems unnatural. So entirely has war become second nature. As we pass back in the darkening night over the Mons Road, lights flash out. Mons is all aglow. To walk boldly in lighted streets and recognize a passing acquaintance is a unique experience, for nothing has been more depressing in those long years than this groping of one's way in the dark for fear of Heine and his bombs. These lights stand for something foreign and strange in our lives. They stand for peace. The days that follow are a tumult of sensation and emotion. Reports come from Paris and London and our Canadian cities of joyous transports and feverish demonstration. Superficially, these are signally lacking within the ranks of the Canadian Corps. Our men, still laden with their packs, tin hats and rifles, are smiling and happy, but seemingly unelated. There has been no relaxation of that sturdy discipline which is the great strength of the Corps, nor have there been wild scenes accompanying relief of tension. This may be puzzling, but looking below the surface, there are good reasons why the Canadian Corps received its crowning victory as soberly as it has its successes of the past. First is the fact that it fought its way to the armistice. Canadian soldiers died in their duty within a few hours of the cessation of hostilities. On the previous day, they encountered opposition stiffer than any since the fall of Valenciennes. Bitter sad it was that these men should fall with the inn so near. But it was essential to secure so important a strategic and tactical point as Mons should the armistice proposals fall through. Even on the Sunday, few soldiers in the field believed in it, and in the London clubs, they were betting odds against it. The position of the Canadian Corps has been well put by Sir Arthur Currie. Quote, the reasons Mons was taken was that we obeyed the orders of Marshal Foch, that we should go on until we were ordered to stop. That is a thing that means much for Canada. It was a proud thing for our race that we were able to finish the war where we began it, and that we, the young whelps of the old lion, were able to take the ground lost in 1914." Then again the roadside scenes saddened their hearts. Amid that misery rejoicing has no place. Beyond these causes is the sense of responsibility. The Canadian Corps has been signally honored, and it has its own high tradition. This earnest spirit is well brought out at a dinner given at Anzin by the colonel and officers of the 54th Kootenay Battalion, to which Corps, Division, Brigade, 
and sister battalion commanders were invited. Invitations had been issued before the armistice, but now the last gun had fired. A general officer present said that this was the time of test, and that the same ideals that had led the Corps to victory must inspire it now. The reputation of the Canadian Corps rested in the last analysis on the type of men in the ranks. Gaily they faced danger, and in times of stress never were such stickers. There could be no greater privilege than to lead these Canadian boys, and they could now be depended upon precisely in the same degree as in the heat of battle. A battalion commander was applauded when he said that men of the Canadian Corps must stand together in Canada, actuated by the same grave sense of responsibility they had shown in war. They would keep that good fellowship built up during the years of war and apply it to the honor and betterment of their country, and in this they would have with them the people at home, who so loyally and with such unstinted faith had supported them throughout. The silent hosts of their dead, who at Ypres and at Vimy, the Somme, Passchendaele, and since, had laid down their lives for this cause, would march with them to its fruition. Mons is an ancient city of crooked streets, winding about the hill whereon is perched the old citadel, and whence rises the venerable belfry tower. We climb aloft, up flight on flight of winding stairs, of steep ladders, past the perch of the carillon player, sweat pouring from his forehead. This enthusiast plies with racing hand and foot his multiple levers, ponderous hand-wrought iron levers, creaking primitive mechanical devices that yet for centuries have sent silver strains floating over the countryside an enthusiast indeed, and now, with music borrowed from one of our bands, pealing out Canadian national airs, and so up and up to the leaded rooftop, there to survey a far horizon. Most immediate below is a vista of roofs, roofs red and brown, covered with lichen, roofs of slate, purple and gray, roofs high-pitched and huddled, their sharp gables jutting out at all angles. So the old town, beyond are the boulevards and chateau of the rich. Due west, a thin line of flame to the sunset runs the Canal de Condé. In this direction it is very flat, save for the fosses, the pyramidal slag heaps of Quesmus and Germat, etched against the glow where our men battle their way in. To the east lie hills catching the declining rays above the darkening plain. Emerging abruptly from this flat expanse, there is something about them of mystery. They have no secret now, but standing on the belfry of Mons, one can recapture something of the dark and hidden significance that clothed their slopes in those days of August 1914. On Friday, November 15, a great military celebration is held in Mons, when a number of army chiefs are present, with the Corps Commander and the Prince of Wales. As a mark of appreciation, the city of Mons has renamed the Place de la Bavarie, where Canadian troops first entered, the Place du Canada, 
and a gold medal is struck and presented bearing the following inscription quote, la ville de mont au lieutenant general sir arthur dublevie curry en souvenir de la liberation de la cité par le corps canadien at a later date the king of the belgians made his state entry and congratulates sir arthur curry on the achievements of the canadian corps quote, unsurpassed by any corps in europe end quote. on the morning of sunday november seventeenth the canadian corps holds in the theatre of mons a service of thanksgiving to almighty god for the blessing of victory it is a solemn and wonderful occasion in that hour expression is given to all the pent-up emotions of the past weeks the simple service with its grave and serious note utters aloud the deep feelings of canadian soldiers in the hour of victory fifty thousand canadians cannot take part in this service says the preacher they sleep in foreign soil but they did not die in vain we have kept the faith with them their sacrifice and that of thousands more who must return maimed and crippled have brought us to this day and they have set their true mark on the page of canadian history we thank god for these gallant men who laid down their lives and we can best requite them by carrying back with us the high ideal that has made the canadian corps a shining sword of righteousness the te deum is sung music being supplied by the band of the royal canadian regiment as the congregation files out there comes floating down from the belfry of mons a clear and sweet refrain o canada and this orchestra of silver tongues peals out across the countryside canada's message of faith and sacrifice end of part four chapter eight recording by james o'connor randolph massachusetts october two thousand ten